welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Our guest speaker today is Kirk Bottomley. Uh, Kirk was a Presbyterian pastor for 30 years until his retirement in 2017. And for 10 years, he was the senior pastor at Fair Oaks Presbyterian Church. And now he flies under the radar around here, which is fun. Um, he told us a story that about for 30 years, uh, his wife um, had to go to his church. And then when they retired from Fair Oaks Press, they were checking out different area churches. And she fell in love with Oak Hills. And that means you guys. So now she gets to pick the church and he has to go where she wants to go. So they're here. So they've been attending here for about three years. And um, I have to say that uh, Kirk has been a regular encouragement to Mike in his preaching and also personally to me in our worship. So let's welcome Kirk as he shares what's on his mind. I can't wait to audition for the Little Mermaid. I'll be that lobster. Sha la 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 la. Hey, thank you, Manuel. Hi, everybody. I'm Kirk. Hi, everybody online. Here? I don't know. So, I'm Kirk. And my wife, Layla, and I, we've been going to this church for three years. We love Oak Hills. Uh, we, we usually attend out on the terrace, the earlier service. Uh, we're here every Sunday that we're not traveling, but I mean, maybe you haven't met us yet. And I just, you know, for a year we've been the masked worshipers, but, uh, come on, say hi. We'd love to get to know our, our larger church family. Uh, let me also say that when I come to church and it's not Mike in the pulpit, uh, my first reaction is, is it too late to get back in my car? I mean, that's, I know that's lousy, but. And, and Oak Hills has a deep preaching bench. You know, Manuel and uh, uh, Lorraine, Kent, Colleen. But Mike's the guy I love to come and hear. And uh, uh, when I was a pastor, I never told my congregation when it was Youth Sunday or when we had a missionary visiting. You know, they bail. Uh, and now here I am. I'm not Mike, and thanks for not going back to your car. Let's see what the Lord has to say to us today. Let's pray. From the prayer of the boy Samuel, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Amen. And it's the custom here at Oak Hills, good custom to stand for the reading of the word. So please stand. And uh, those of you with Bibles, okay, or Bible apps on your phone, you know, I just want to encourage you to you know, whenever I make a Bible reference to follow along, look it up. I want you to be like the Berean church. Remember, Paul said they were more noble-minded than those Thessalonians. That was the kind way of Paul saying those idiot Thessalonians. Because they would check it out. They'd open their Bibles to check out if what Paul said was really there. And so from Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, 
and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, and that would be the Lord Jesus, said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Wow. Okay, stay with me now for a couple more verses. Okay, this one from uh, Galatians 6.15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Hmm. Did you see that coming? Or here, from 2 Peter 3.13. But in keeping with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And finally, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you know this by heart. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Okay, so four scriptures, right? From uh, Revelation, Galatians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Peter, and what do they all have in common? Thank you. New creation, yes. That's what's on my mind. The great hope of history. Did you know? The divine destiny that this present world that we inhabit now is heading toward. Each of those scriptures and that passage we read earlier in Isaiah 35, you know, the highway running from Babylon to Jerusalem. With, and all along that highway, the desert bursting into bloom and the blind will see and the lame will leap. All of those scriptures are talking about the new creation. That's where we're going. That's the trajectory of this this, uh, blue horizon that we're all passengers on. The blessed hope is not heaven. It's new creation. And so St. Paul says, okay, it's not worth quibbling about circumcision or uncircumcision. That was the issue that was blowing up the Galatian churches. And Paul says, you know, that's not what's important. This little theological molehill or that one. You know, uh, child dedication or infant baptism. Juice or wine in communion. You know, an organ or a praise band in worship. You can debate that, Paul says. Just no. It's not the big deal. The big deal is new creation. So let's think about what that might mean. And the other way of of saying new creation is new heaven and new earth. St. Peter says, in keeping with God's promise, we're looking forward to, see, it's in the future, hadn't happened yet, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And when he says that, he's quoting the Bible, right? He's echoing Genesis 1.1, we've heard that before. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first creation. Awesome. Beautiful. God looks at it and he says, this is very good. 
Angela, you ever say that about what you finish? This is, this is good. And then we turn the page and everything goes kablooey. Human sin plunges heaven and earth into darkness. And so we have corruption and pollution and rebellion and political polarization and racism and violence, death. All of these enter and defile God's good creation. And what does God say when he sees this? He says, does he say, you've ruined my beautiful world. I can't even look at it. I'm going to throw it in the garbage. No. He says, in effect, hey, this is my world. It doesn't belong to the devil. It doesn't belong to, you know, self-centered, self-destructive human beings. It belongs to me. It's my artwork. It's my handiwork. And I am going to reclaim it. I mean, the human race has rebelled against my kingship, but by golly, I, this world is going to be, once again, the kingdom of God. That's exactly what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? At the, the center of that prayer, maybe the most important thing we pray is, Thy kingdom come. God, your kingdom, your reign, you in charge of everything, bring it on. Kingdom of God, come. And when it finally does, you know what that's called? New creation. New creation. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. The Greek word there is cosmos. Heaven and earth together. God loved the world. And when it went kablooey, God's love didn't quit on it. Some years ago, a a crazy guy attacked Michelangelo's pieta with a sledgehammer. I don't know if you remember that. He, 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 he busted off one of her arms. He smashed her nose and her head. I mean, can you imagine coming on the scene immediately after this horrific vandalism? And you go, oh, oh my God, it's ruined. What are we going to do with it? Let's... Let's, let's throw it away. Let's, it's junk now. Let's take it out back and bust it into a million pieces and put it in a dumpster. You know what the guys at the Vatican did? They turned it over to a brilliant team of restorers. And they restored it. I mean, we're, we're not going to let some lunatic ruin this breathtakingly beautiful and graceful work of art. One of the great artistic testimonies to the death of Jesus. And they restored it. I mean, you look at it, you can't tell. And, and human civilization and the church received back this masterpiece. Well, God has a masterpiece too. An unspeakable marvel of art and engineering, heaven and earth, and they declare his glory And in a lunatic moment, repeated a million, million times since, we have swung a sledgehammer and released ruin and death and a curse into God's world. That that was the original pandemic. Okay, That, that, that has spread person to person and generation to generation and humankind to creation and 
There's no scientist or lab that is smart enough to find a vaccination or cure for sin. Because we, we are we're fatally contaminated. And everything we touch and breathe on and do is contaminated. And we can build labs that are germ-free. Nothing is sin-free. God says, I can restore this. Okay, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm, going to, I'm not just going to save souls. You know, that's what I thought when I was a young evangelical, that God isn't interested in the world. He's not interested in matter and molecules. He just wants to save souls, right? No, God says, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to make it my world again. Salvation is related to the word salvage, right? I'm going to salvage and, and restore this ruined, vandalized world so that it shines again, every square inch of it, with the glory of God. In Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches a come-to-Jesus message to an audience just outside the temple in Jerusalem. You know, he and John have just healed a crippled man at the temple gate, and a big crowd gathers. And in verse 19, we get Peter's altar call. It goes like this. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you. I'm talking about Jesus. Heaven must receive him. Listen to this. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through the prophets, as he promised through Isaiah, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. That's what salvation looks like. Jesus says, I'm going to make everything new. Everything broken, everything defiled, everything lost, what's been ripped off, what's been deformed or perverted, God is going to remake it and clothe it with glory. Are you looking forward to that? Okay, that lacks some conviction. That's our blessed hope, folks. We do, we look forward to that. Okay, yeah, but when? <laughs> I have nine grandkids, okay? And uh, last week I was taking three of them uh, to the aquatic center uh, to go kayaking on Lake Natoma. And my phone app says that's, that's three miles from the house. That's a 10-minute drive. We get in the car. We're, we're, we're five minutes down the road, okay? We've just passed Hazel and, and Madison. Sure enough, the eternal question comes from the back seat. And that is, are we there yet? How much farther? Oh my gosh, we've only been in the car five minutes. Do you know that that's a question that has been asked by the people of God since, like, the book of Exodus, okay? The Israelites are, are sprung free after 400, 400 years of slavery. No sooner have they left Egypt, they're camped at Mount Sinai. Moses, are we there yet? Does this look like the promised land? Jesus is raised from the dead. He's, he's giving his disciples final instructions, okay? The Great Commission, take the gospel into the whole world. 
wait a minute, Lord, aren't we there yet? <laughs> Isn't it now that you, you, you throw the Romans out and you set up your kingdom? Isn't that what salvation means? We get our country back and our guy on the throne. And, you know, Lord Jesus, he doesn't have the heart. He doesn't want to tell him, no, you've got to wait at least another 2,000 years. Imagine telling that to the kids in the back seat. Uh, but that's not all, okay? <clears throat> the Bible says the whole creation is whining. Manuel's song, Listen, urges us to hear creation singing praises to God. And it does, it does. But, you know, backstage, they're whining too. Paul says in Romans 8, creation is saying, are we there yet? The earth, nature, the whole ecosystem is these deep groans, these sharp stabs of pain like childbirth as it feels deep in its soul how death and decay have, have just laid everything waste. Don't you hear it sometimes? Don't you feel it sometimes, you know, and I mean, you turn on the news and you read about an insurrection or a cop killing a black kid or the whole country of Afghanistan collapsing into chaos. The forests of North America in flames, the rainforest for decades burning, the oceans warming, the ice caps melting. Oh, oh. Paul says, against its will, all creation was subjected to a curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day, what day do you suppose that is, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Oh God, when are you going to fix this? And not only that, we believers, we ourselves also groan. Are we there yet? Where is there? It's not heaven, folks. It's the new creation. Do you know, even, even the saints in heaven, okay? You'd think they're happy all the time. They got nothing to complain about. Guess what? As they look down on the world, or wherever they're looking out from, because it's not like they're up there, okay? As they look at the world, they are like kids in the back seat. In Revelation 6, they say, How long, O Lord, until you judge the earth? How long till you fix this? See, they're, they're whining too in heaven about the earth. Why? It's because... They're going to inherit this. See, They're going to inhabit this. They're coming back. This is home at the resurrection. It's like the exiles coming home from Babylon. And they want God to hurry up and judge and set everything right. How much longer? And God says, just chill a bit. Would you? You're going to be okay. You know, when I was a pastor, everybody wanted me to do a preaching series on Revelation. Don't touch it. They, they'd read Left Behind, okay? And they were all excited about the end of the world next week. 
small groups. We want to talk about who the Antichrist is and when Armageddon is scheduled and the microchip that's getting injected into everybody's vaccinated arm and especially about getting raptured off of this late great planet Earth and going to heaven because isn't that what, it, what it's all about? It's asking Jesus in your heart so you can go to heaven when you die. Folks, the Bible, that's not what the Bible says. Heaven is not our ultimate destination. You'd think it was. We talk about heaven so much. Oh, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and see grandma and grandpa. Now, are there going to be golf courses in heaven? Is that going to interfere with my, that white robe with my swing? You know, There's hardly a funeral I attend where they don't talk about heaven as going home. It's not home. See, when the, when the Bible comes to a glorious ending, Read these last two chapters of Revelation. Instead of going up there, heaven comes down here. The holy city, that's what Angela is painting. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, is lowered onto an earthly foundation. And God makes his home here with us. The resurrected King Jesus will dwell with his resurrected people. Okay, so wait. We don't go to heaven? Well, yeah. yeah no, yes, of course, we do. Believers who die between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, they go to be with the Lord. To be, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's heaven. Uh, that's where Jesus, King Jesus is enthroned right now. But heaven is like a rest stop on the highway to the new creation. Jesus told the thief on the cross, you're going to be with me today in paradise. And he uses a Persian word, paradis, for a beautiful garden or park. It's, I mean, it's going to be nice. And we're going to hang out there waiting, resting, waiting for what we, what did we say in the Apostles' Creed? The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Everlast, life where? Not up there. Here. If you're on the road to a wonderful vacation, okay, you're driving, you've been driving for hours and it's a long way, you might pull off into a rest stop. Uh, you're going to hit the restrooms, you're going to check out the vending machines, you're going to maybe take a nap, maybe go for a walk over there where there's some trees and some grass. This is nice, you say. But you don't say to your wife and kids, hey, let, let's forget about the beach, let's just stay here. Because they'll look at you at a rest stop. No, you don't say that, because where you're going is so much better. Paul says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's greater than anything we could possibly imagine, what God has prepared for those who love him. And what God has prepared is the new creation. Are we there yet? No. No. Well, sort of. Okay, here's a question. Why is Easter on Sunday? Why isn't it Easter Saturday? Not, what, the Easter Sabbath day, that's the holy day for Israel. Why is it on Sunday? It's because Sunday in Genesis was day one. The first day of creation. And when Jesus Christ steps 
victoriously out of the grave, victorious over the powers of sin and death. It's Sunday morning. It's the first day of God's new creation. It's the beginning of everything being regenesist. And who does Mary Magdalene mistake the risen Lord for? The gardener. It's the kookiest thing. And the, and the tomb, where is it? It's in a garden. Whoa. What does that remind you of? Sounds like an echo of something. In Genesis, who's the gardener? Yeah, the first man, Adam. God puts him in the garden to cultivate it and take care of it. And now the new Adam, Jesus, the perfect image bearer of the divine creator. He steps into the new creation with a glorified body that, oh man, it can, it can walk through walls. It can teleport. It can eat. That's cool. He says, touch me and see I'm not a ghost. Okay? He has a body that will never die or decay. The crucified and risen Jesus on Easter, he has inaugurated God's new creation. And then what does St. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If anyone is in Christ, there is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. See, the renewal of all things has begun in Christ. And as we put our faith in Christ, as we live in faithfulness to him and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that future that we're, we're all waiting for, we're all longing for, even whining for, it has already been supernaturally planted in you. So are we there yet? Yes, uh, sort of. And not yet. Just chill a little. Okay? Okay, let's ask, so what? So, ask, so what? So what? Yeah, thanks. I'm glad you asked. So, let's begin by, re okay, by replacing our hope of heaven and all our heaven talk with what the Bible says is our true destination and home. It's, it's not some... Mythic Ethereum up in the clouds, which we escape to. See, salvation is not an escape plan. Like those evacuation maps nobody can read in the hospital hallways. There's actually one right here on the pulpit. I have no idea how to get out of this place. <laughs> it's not about how do we get out of here, salvation. It's about thy kingdom come. This present broken world radically redeemed and restored and dressed in glory. That's the blessed hope. Eternal life in a body and soul life in a world completely and utterly transformed by the resurrection power and grace of God. We're not going up to heaven except, you know, as a rest stop. We're not going back to the Garden of Eden either. We're going forward to the new Jerusalem. It comes down out of heaven. And when it does, what do we see? Well, look, it's, it's, a, it's a paradise garden. There's the river of life flowing through the middle of it and the tree of life. Actually, Revelation says it's more like a grove. There are trees on either side and, and those trees are bearing a crop of fruit every month, a new crop. And their leaves can make can make sick people well. It's a paradise garden, 
and a paradise city. You know, we don't usually put those together, but let's do that. Let's, it's a garden and a city. Do you know in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam his primal vocation? Genesis 2, the Lord God took Adam, which comes from the Hebrew word Adama. Adama means ground, dirt. He took the guy made of dirt and put him in the garden where, you know, that grows out of dirt to cultivate it and take care of it. That's the primal, that's our primal vocation, folks. That's, that's still our job. God has never fired us from cultivate and take care of it. C- cultivate, adva, means take this, work it, and make it flourish, okay? Cultivate, make culture. Take all the million potentialities that are latent in this world and activate them. Cultivate. And take care. Shamra. Shamra. We heard that word last week. The Lord bless you and shamra. Keep you. Look after you. Protect you. Take care of you. See that? God says to Adam and Eve, that's what I want you to do with my world, okay? Do something fabulous with it, but take care of it too. How many of you have a garden? Anybody have a garden? Garden? Okay, how many have house plants scattered around the house? All right? Or even pictures. Uh, on facing walls in our house, we have, a, we have a Van Gogh irises and a Renoir vase of flowers. And okay, they're reproductions. Don't go breaking into our house. They're in the bathroom. So, uh, a garden, a fern, a philodendron, a picture of cut flowers or of a landscape, those speak joyfully to our soul and they're signposts that remind us where we came from, a garden in Eden, and where we're going to a paradise garden. So let's plant gardens. Let's, Let's visit gardens. Let's uh, let's have community gardens like the one you know we have right here at Oak Hills. Let's eat fruits and veggies that grow out of gardens. Uh, and let's stay in touch with our primal calling to be gardeners. Wait, the New Jerusalem is also a city. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? Uh, with all the cool things that a city has, I have to believe it has universities and sports arenas and parks and swimming pools and tennis courts and shopping malls and movie theaters and, and uh, amusement parks. Cities are places where people do stuff. You know, they, they run a business, they invent things, they build things, they, they create works of art, they compose music, they, they play in bands. They go to libraries. They look through telescopes and microscopes and, and they blow stuff up in laboratories. They go to restaurants and, and go for walks in the park. You, you think the new Jerusalem doesn't have all those great things that a modern city has and, and more? You know, in our resurrected life, we will keep on cultivating. Making culture, culture that is beautiful, and cool, like Manuel's jazzy listen song, and, and it glorifies God. And, and I propose, 
as new creation people, okay, right now, right now, you're new creation people, that we keep building cities and renewing cities and investing in our city, in Folsom, in, in Sacramento. And that might mean a, a, a membership at the Crocker or season tickets to the music circus or, or going, it means going to a Rivercat game, uh, volunteering at a hospital or, or a library or, or, a, or a park taking walks in old town and going out to restaurants or a brewery. It means advocating for affordable housing so that everybody can call this city their home. Uh, maybe working at a food bank so that everybody can eat. That's what it means to be new creation people now. I love that our church has this art immersion program. Creation is God's work of art. You're God's work of art, Christian. And the new creation is going to have artwork and music and dancing and, and, and storytelling and, and theater. And, and so right now we want to participate in and support and celebrate all those different art forms, including training up the next generation of Michelangelo's and, and Van Gogh's as a way of we want to bear witness to the new Jerusalem that's coming. Cultivate and care for. Shamra, I want you to think of healing and of conservation. Revelation says there's the tree of life, and the trees and the leaves of the tree are for what? Healing. See, the new creation is about healing and wellness and health. You know, I, I heard one of the great missiologists of the 20th century, Ralph Winter, once, and he said. If the church had invested in curing cancer in the 1800s and 1900s, like it invested in missionaries, the world would be cancer-free today. That's a kingdom of God project. How did we miss it? I think we were thinking about heaven, not the new creation. A, create, a new creation lifestyle, it seems to me, in the midst of a global pandemic means being joining a community of the vaccinated. It might mean masking again, not, not, maybe not for me, for others, as a gesture that, hey, we're in this together. Take care of my creation. That is certainly God's call to be intentionally, environmentally responsible, to conserve, to advocate. It's not a liberal issue. It's a Christian issue. You know, I'm a, I'm a Bible guy. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We don't trash God's world, okay? So we adopt a green lifestyle. We minimize our use of plastics. We refill our water bottles. We, we, we figure out what green means. You know, you figure out what that means to you. Recycle. Pick up trash when you're out walking. Let's reduce our consumption. Think renewable. Jesus is the great renewer. I'm going to make all things new, he says. We work to reverse the human effects of global warming. And everyone here has to decide, you know, if, if they think that science is correct about this. I, I think the consensus is clearly and objectively yes. And if it is, let, then let's think soberly. Let's think realistically about how we can minimize the negative effects and human suffering caused by climate change. 
I mean, new creation touches on some big themes, doesn't it? And, and it comes real close, gets very personal and practical. Let me just touch on this last one, justice. Second Peter 3 says, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth in which where righteousness dwells. See, God dwells here, and so righteousness dwells here. Do you know in the New Testament, the word righteousness and justice are the same word. Dikayasune. See, the new creation is a just world. Do you hunger and thirst for a world like that? Then blessed are you, Jesus says. A world where there's no more government corruption. No more rich and powerful people buying justice. No more tyranny, no more racism, no more othering people, no more cops killing innocent black kids or fellow citizens, no more abortion clinics, no more economic oppression like slavery or child labor, sweat houses making our shirts and our shoes, no more girls being trafficked or women being treated like chattel or second-class co-workers. You know, I, I want to think about how inequitably the wealth of this resource-rich world has been distributed and lavished on people like us who pretty much spend it on ourselves. While two-thirds of the world lives in degrading poverty. They can't get a vaccine. They can't get running water. They have no internet access. There's no reliable electricity. They have to labor in jobs. Any of us would consider degrading Two-thirds of the world. Is God okay with that? That massive inequality and all the excuses that we make to protect our self-interest. I'm preaching to myself here. Ouch. You don't have to hear this message by turning on MSNBC. You can read Amos or Isaiah or James or Jesus. If we are new creation pilgrims, we have to be people who rejoice in justice and we're willing even to sacrifice our own well-being and affluence, our own political status and privilege, or even just a little money and time to advocate for a more just world. That's the pilgrim path where justice matters, where righteousness dwells, because that's where we're going. And so Christian friends... God's word today doesn't just invite us, it calls us to see our whole life. Okay, the business you run, the job you work, the family you raise, your community, your country, your citizenship, your politics, uh, the, the, your playtime, the TV you watch, the video games you play, the Pinterest pages you visit, the stuff you purchase on Amazon or at Target. God's word today calls us to see everything we, we do, that we breathe on, that we touch in light of the new creation. Are we there yet? Not yet. The day of the Lord's coming. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Are we there yet? Well, yes. If anyone's in Christ... The new creation is here. The world should look at us and see a signpost of that glorious future. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, may we truly reverence you in our worship, our whole life. Hallowed be your name. And Lord, your kingdom, your reign, you in charge of everything, Lord, may that reality come soon. May your will be done in my life and everywhere on this earth, just as it is in heaven. Amen.